0: Welcome to On Call with Dr. Dave. Today, we're talking with Alyssa, who is a nurse, and we were just chatting a little before we started recording, and you've been working in the ER probably for most of your career, but also did some travel nursing, which is a unique thing that we haven't talked to anybody about. What was the first story that just popped into your mind when you started writing or thinking about stories from your career?
1: We live where my hospital that I worked at most of my career, it's along a major highway, and we... Frequently in the ER get requests for help getting patients out of the car. Happens Mm -hmm. a lot, not a big deal, but we got a call from the front asking if we could help get a lady out of a semi truck. We had two gentlemen and they were like, yeah, we'll go, we'll go get her out. And less than a few minutes later, they come back and we're going to need some help and better yet, start gowning up in, in like, personal protective equipment. And they're like, it's bad in there. That's getting interesting now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, what (laughs) do you mean it's bad in there? And (laughs) so I'll just cover the backstory for you guys, is that it was a husband and wife, like, a trucker team. Mm -hmm. And they would just go around the country being truckers. And this lady, they didn't have insurance. Mm -hmm. Go figure. And she got uh, an abscess on her thigh, was the impression I got. And I guess in the semi, they're like, take a knife, put a flame under it. Oh, no. Land- yeah. <laughs> you oh. see where this is going? <laughs> Lance it themselves. Oh. And she was laying in like a back cabin. And <laughs> I guess she was not getting better. She was just feeling worse and getting sicker. And she, but she refused to go see a doctor. And the husband was like, there's going to be a point when you aren't, you're going to pass out and then I'm taking you. And that happened in my town, right along the highway. So I can see why they chose us. And yeah. And so this lady was on the back cabin of a semi-trailer and passed out. So dead weight. Oh, wow. they, they couldn't figure out how to get her out. And with this essentially affected wound. And she'd been laying there for like a couple of days. Oh wow. And it's it smelled heinous. And this wound was probably from her knee, probably all the way up to her rib cage and coming over. Oh. And it just looked like a petri dish. It was so red and had like slime. It smelled awful. Oh. And you could push on it. And I don't know what would come out like on the other side of her leg. It was bad. It smelled awful. Wow. The oh, smells
0: baby. and the, the hot smell. truck and then being in oh. Texas with the heat. Oh my god. And gosh. it was
1: during the spring, so it was warmer. Oh, it was bad. It needless to say, she was in severe septic shock. And yeah. we ran around trying to save this lady the best we could, but it ended up being necrotizing fasciitis.
0: Oh, so then she's doing OR stents, and they're cutting out the dead tissue, and then it's a massive stay.
1: Massive stay. Man. Uh, Unfortunately, I ended up learning that she did not make it, which is really unfortunate. Oh, that is unfortunate.
0: It is frustrating, and it's sad when people have to decide whether or not they can get medical care or not because of money. And so my biggest counsel to people is they can't repossess your health. So I know you don't want those bills. I know it's going to be horrible, but if you go in earlier, it's going to be a small bill probably and something more easily treated. (laughs) I've seen somebody where this guy, he was a welder and he had a couple people, pieces of metal go in his eyes over the years. And so he'd gone to the hospital multiple times. And then the eye doctor, the ER doctor digs a piece of metal out of the front of the eye. And he told his wife this time, said, I'm not going to the ER. I know what they do. They just take a little needle. They just pop it out. You can do it for me. So he convinced his wife to pe- pop a piece of metal out of his cornea. <laughs> and then she just stabbed him through the eyeball, like straight through the front into the lens of the eye. Then he needed emergency surgery. And I love my wife. She's sitting right here next to me, but she is not coming anywhere my, near my eye with a needle. So
1: Who wants that job? <laughs> I don't want that job. We
0: are tr- We are trained for a reason. Wow. That's a rough story.
1: Do you have any others that you thought of? Let me see. I, I made a list.
0: Yeah, okay. I love lists. So
1: I, I actually, I was looking and I was like, I better be prepared. There was a older gentleman who had brought in uh, CPR in progress. So ambulance had been doing chest compressions on him when he arrived. Older man. And so we weren't sure how well he was going to do. And so we worked on him probably for 20, 30 minutes, before our doctor would, called it and said, hey, I don't think any other interventions are really gonna do it for this guy. And so pronounced him dead, cleaned up a little bit and pieced out of the room, moved on to whatever was next. And then it was not my assigned patient but uh, I had helped with the effort. Um, so the nurse who was assigned to it, went into that room to grab something, noticed he was breathing. Oh, wow. And <laughs> It, like even brought somebody in am I going crazy is this guy breathing and they hook him up and lo and behold it's got an EKG we can feel a pulse and okay let's get going like <laughs> he's not dead and so Whoa. our our uh doctor was like baffled he was like hot. like we worked on this guy for a minutes and he nothing revived him then but about 15 minutes later he was back at it. And so yeah, we sent him up to the, <laughs> the stairs. I don't know how he fared after that, I'll admit, but he did survive his first efforts. So. Wow,
0: that's amazing. That <laughs>
1: I've you, never heard of that. It's one of those things that oh, really? they show
0: it's one of those things they show in movies, but it just doesn't happen. We don't give up easy. We when we're doing CPR, we yeah. give it all we have, and there's monitors and there's a lot of ways to tell us if we're doing a good job or a bad job or if they're coming back. And you don't call a code and then just walk out and have the person just decide to come back to life. So
1: that was the one and only time I've even seen it remotely happen. In in the <laughs> ER, we have many, we call them pre, like frequent flyers. They're there mm. frequently for legitimate concerns or not. And this was not that in this situation, but I had a gentleman, so this was a young guy, and he came in with a typism. And before I'd even gotten there, they had drained it. And yeah. so everything's hunky dory. I went in with our doctor to go and check on him, and he asked him, Hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. and he's great, much better. So I'm doing really well, and he's great. Then we'll probably start getting you out the door. And cool. So I walked out with him less than two minutes later. He is called, wanting pain medication. <laughs> and I was a little confused because he told us, Yeah, that's funny. great. Yeah. And so I was like, well, what's the deal, bro? And so I go in there and I just, I wanted to clarify with him. I was like, Hey, is this, you, you said you were great. Was it really hurting when we first came in or has this started since we were there?
0: Two minutes and, ago.
1: <laughs> two minutes ago. And he basically said something along the lines of you put a needle in my <laughs> penis. Of course it hurts. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So it, it just always hurt and you we were nervous. And so I was like, cool, I'll, I'll go talk to our doctor. And so I got him some pain medication. I come back in and this guy has gotten his, his clothes back on. He is ripped out of his IV. And mm. yeah, he, he's ticked because apparently I was not sensitive enough to the fact that he had this issue of priapism, and it hurt. And I guess I was being sassy. Uh, and I was like, right. no, I just wanted to clarify. And I was like, we can still give you this medication. He's like, no, I don't even want it from you. <laughs> and I'm leaving. And literally I try, I'm not going to wait for, the didn't even ask the discharge paperwork or anything like yeah. that. And he just stormed out. Because he was ticked. <laughs> I had the audacity to ask him about his pain. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so, anyway, so I go and he's shouting and hollering. And our doctor, who was his doctor, walks to me, What did you do? And I was like, I-, I don't know. I just asked him about his pain. And he was ticked. And, and it looks like his you doctor was like, Oh, well, good job. <laughs> good, good job. Got him out the door. And so, yep. anyway, so not really. Like leaving against medical advice, but he definitely was ticked off.
0: Also, yeah, I would assume it would hurt. But if you don't say it hurts, how are you supposed to know?
1: I had a a patient with COVID. I worked during the whole pandemic and uh, I had been endorsed him. And young guy had COVID, wasn't breathing very well. So they had him on hypo which is the nasal cannula. Mm-hmm. so you get a nasal cannula and it blows air. And this is like a nasal cannula on steroids and it can blow more specific amounts of oxygen. Mm-hmm. And so it, you can get more accurate and it's more than a nasal cannula can do. And so when COVID was going on, that's what we tended to do for those patients. It's give them this nasal cannula called hypo. And so he'd been on that and I got endorsed him. He was already going to go upstairs because he couldn't breathe enough. But he was, his saturations, his oxygen saturations were well with that. He was saturating in the nineties. And so we're like, okay, he's doing good. I brought him upstairs and I brought him with a non-rebreather mask. I figured that was probably going to do suffice. And non-rebreather is like a mask with a bag in front of it. It's supposed to give you Mm -hmm. like 100% oxygen. I'm like, he should be fine while we bring him up on the 100% oxygen. Brought him up on the stretcher to his inpatient room. And all he had to do was stand from my stretcher to his bed. And you could tell that this was an effort for him. Mm-hmm. But otherwise he was a young, he was 33, young guy. And he was bigger. So I was like, yeah, these those kind of things are working against you. Um, about an hour after I sent him upstairs, they call a code rapid, which is uh there's a patient upstairs that is rapidly declining. So we're not doing, they're not in respiratory and restaurants like in cardiac arrest, but we could go that way if we don't intervene. And we go up there. Breathing is terrible. Mm -hmm. And it's in the 70s with all the oxygen they can get. And so our doctor there was like, you're going to need to be on a ventilator. That's the next step. And she had him call his family to tell him that was what's going to happen. And he basically called and was so short of breath, he couldn't even talk to them. Uh, Our doctor pretty much talked for him because he was so out of breath. And she said, hey, we need to put him on a ventilator. His breathing is failing. And I was distinctly remember his wife saying, hey, you need to be strong, you need to fight this. Me and the kids, we're relying on you. We love you, we need you. Like, you you need to fight this, we love you, baby. And yeah, I think by that time we had to hang up. And so we put him on a ventilator and minutes later, We couldn't find a pulse and so then we had to start CPR and we were able to get him back and they sent him up. He had been on a, like a med surge floor. So like lower acuity Mm -hmm. and they sent him to ICU and so intensive care. And I found out from one of the ICU nurses that uh, he ended up uh, losing his heartbeat again and that time they had not been able to revive him and he passed away. And I just remember, I don't know, that was one of my hardest like COVID patients because he was 33, mm-hmm. which is how old I am now. And I don't know. I just you know there's like a wife and kids that don't have a husband and dad. And I don't know, that was, I think during the Delta variant, and that one was particularly aggressive, especially, and the hard thing was, is like for people who are vaccinated, Like 97% of our hospital at that time was unvaccinated. And I remember asking, I was like, hey, just curious. Why didn't you want it? And there's plenty of reasons why people don't want it. And I had asked him and I don't know. That was his answer. Just didn't get it. And I I don't know. I just, maybe it was saved his life. I'm not sure, but I don't know. And I guess they were, his family didn't believe it. They hung up. And I don't know. And it just, I was like, maybe, I don't know. It was hard.
0: That does yeah. sound really hard. I, the The feeling I'm getting from you and I'm thinking in my own world, how that would feel is just helpless.
1: Yeah. We
0: go into medicine because we want to help and we train and we learn and we do all these skills and we try so hard because we want to help. And then to stand there, just helpless, all our best interventions didn't do anything. And you just had to stand there and watch that happen. And I can't imagine a harder feeling as a healthcare worker Than just feeling helpless in that moment.
1: Oh, yeah. It was rough and I think my husband at that time was the same age. And I'm like, this could be him. And thankful it wasn't. But it it just became very real. Because this was somebody who was like my age. Mm -hmm. And this was not somebody old. This was somebody young. And it was affecting young people. And that was, I think, really devastating.
0: I think there's a reason why post-COVID, we've lost a lot of doctors and nurses, and it's hard to still work in the field because it just affected so many of us so deeply. Yes. And yeah, it's it's also one of those things that was so much politicizing about it, and there was so much talk about it, and all we were trying to do is help people, and it was one of those times where we felt like we had zero support from the community or society, And then in the hospital, we were helpless there, too. So I, I think it just broke a lot of people. I don't think we were meant to go through something like that and come through unscathed.
1: COVID was the hardest part of my career, especially when I think the Delta variant, like I said, was the hardest for me. When it was like the Alpha variant, when it first started, there wasn't much we could do. Like, we treated it symptomatically. But when the vaccine came out, I'm like, oh, I guess I had been so excited for it to come out. I'm like, oh, maybe this will be the end of it. We can move on.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, I was one of the first people to get it being in the healthcare. Mm-hmm. And i had been so excited. And when the Delta variant came, suddenly like all of these people are not vaccinated. And like I said, I live in Texas. So a, a big population of Texas was just not about it. And I don't know, it was hard because I was just like, here's something that can really work. And I, and it was hard because a lot of people were basing their decisions off of misinformation. Um, even that even now was been proven untrue. And, and I feel like some people died for those beliefs.
0: I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate mm-hmm. what you did during COVID and with your career. I have nothing but love and respect for everybody in healthcare. And I think some of us sometimes need to be a little more sassy with our patients. Mm-hmm. So that point comes across. nobody's more sassy than an er nurse nobody gets to to be more sassy hi this is dr dave thank you so much for listening to this week's episode please rate review and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future